Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today on the show, we preview all things Super Bowl, from the matchups to the legacies that hang in the balance to our predictions for the game. We give you our top five athletes who underachieved relative to their potential, and we talk about whether or not Ryan Braun can reclaim his reputation after his fall from grace. Coming up on the other side of the break. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. What's that from? The Truman Show? In case I don't see you. Yeah. Welcome in. Adam Hawking, Ben Sherman, Eric Lejeune. I'm Adam Hawking. That's Ben Sherman. I'm here. Um, as, you, as everyone could hear you point. Yeah, they saw me point. Gesturize. Audio visualize. Um, last few podcasts ago, we had a podcast called The Polar Vortex. Mm-hmm. Entitled the Polar Vortex because of the frigid weather here in St. Paul, Minneapolis, greater metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. We thought we had climbed out of the Polar Vortex. We are now squarely back in it. Wind chills reaching 30 below. Yep. How you feeling, Ben? I feel good. I got, I got some warm clothes. I wore my long johns today. It was a mistake to podcast outside. Yeah. Why well, did we do that? It just gives us the best amount of background noise, I think. If the NFL players can play in the elements, we can podcast in the elements. Let's talk about the Super Bowl. We Ben Sherman's going to be out of town. He's going to be unable to podcast on Thursday. We may be back on Friday, but we just figured we'd do a whole big Super Bowl cast today to make sure we got it in. All, getting it in is always the most important. Got to get it in. Um, <laughs> themes of the game, I just want to start. We'll, we'll kind of break down every angle, but let's start at the beginning. You've got the best offense ever versus the best defense in the league. In fact, it's the best... Scoring defense since the 2008 Titans, led by Kerry Collins. Drunk Kerry Funk. Who, everyone almost <laughs> forgot that that team existed. Um, but to me, the, the thing that starts and, and kind of stands out the most is Peyton Manning with a chance to define his legacy, to get his second ring in three tries. He's working on his fifth MVP. If he, I know how I feel about this, but if he wins his second ring, where do you put him in the hierarchy of Montana and Brady and all those guys? Third. Really? Yeah, at least. I mean, he's still, he's still not even like the, the best, he doesn't have the best quarterback legacy of quarterbacks that are still playing in the game right now. You know what I mean? Tom Brady still has the edge on him in head-to-head matchups, Super Bowls. Um, I don't think MVPs, but that's really the only thing. I think Tom maybe only has one or two. Peyton's kind of a like individual stat-driven player, whereas yeah. Tom's the kind of guy that usually pulls more of his teammates in. It's almost like a LeBron versus Jordan thing. Yeah. And, and Peyton Manning being LeBron, even though LeBron is, is much closer to the middle of his career than the end. But mm-hmm. um, you kind of see in Peyton and LeBron two guys that should be the best player you've ever on seen. On paper, yeah. Um, probably the most talent, probably when they're on their game, the most dominant. Yeah. I would say LeBron and Peyton are, are more dominant relative to Brady and, and, and Jordan. Yeah. Um, but... In crunch time or whatever it is, Brady and Jordan just seem to raise to the moment. But I think if he gets his second ring here, he's been there three times. He's working on his fifth MVP. I think I could make the argument that he's the best of all time. I think he is, especially if his career doesn't end here. Yes, but he, he goes on wins maybe another one. Yeah, round. goes and wins another one or has you know another Super Bowl appearance or a MVP season. an MVP-type season. 
then we're really, you're going to have to, I mean, from a strictly skill standpoint, I agree. I think he's probably the most skilled quarterback, the, the best pure passing quarterback that has probably ever played the game. And probably takes that mantle from Dan Marino, who mm-hmm. kind of ironically only ever made it to one Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting. Pete Carroll also could enter a, a, a relatively rare club of winning uh, a college national championship and a Super Bowl. Only Jimmy Johnson and Barry Switzer uh, have done that. They both won their Super Bowls with the Cowboys. What do we say about Pete Carroll? Because I think now, right now, he kind of is like a slick guy. Yeah. Kind of burned down USC and left as it was burning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but was obviously very successful there. Wasn't successful in his first few stints in the NFL with the with the Jets and the Patriots. But now, you know, he built USC and now he's built Seattle. If he wins a ring here, you know, what what do we say about him? We say, I hope he doesn't burn Seattle and leave. No. Yeah. Um, Recruiting violations. I don't know what to think about Pete Carroll as like a coach. I, I think we've talked a little bit about this before. I don't see him as like a great X's and O's guy. Motivational it's, speaker. Yeah, it's more like he projects and expects a certain level of energy um, and effort out of the players. And I think that's where he really excels is getting them to give it their all. And then he lets other people kind of take care of the, the minutia. Yeah, I agree with you. I, Richard Sherman actually wrote... Um, on, on the Monday Morning Quarterback, which is uh, sort of like an NFL version of Grantline, Grantland for, for Sports Illustrated, he had 10 thoughts on, you know, his reaction to the to, to his interview with Aaron Andrews and fame in America and fo- just kind of all over the map. But, um, but uh, Richard Sherman, you know, was talking about Pete Carroll and his thought on Pete Carroll was the guy's a rock. He gets us to... You know, and, and you're right, it wasn't about schematically, he's this, this, and this. It wasn't a Belichickian type of compliment. It was, <clears throat> we're playing our 22nd week of football or whatever, and every single week he gets us focused on playing for a championship opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity for, even if it's week one of the regular season, if you show out at defensive back, Pete Carroll's going to recognize you. You know, it's a championship opportunity to, to make your name, to prove people wrong, and he gets those competitive juices flowing, unlike maybe any other coach. Yeah, I I think that's his big thing, um, and clearly it works for him. He does it better than anyone else, I think. The way he gets that defense to play, especially. The defense and getting, I mean, the offense has struggled, obviously, and isn't, you know, isn't the most prolific scoring offense in the league or probably even in their own division, but they don't make a lot of mistakes. Um, and I think that's really important. You don't see Russell Wilson going out there and, and throwing a bunch of interceptions or them turning the ball over a whole lot. So um, whatever he does motivationally that keeps these guys that focused is uh, is kind of impressive outside of his weird personality. Well, and I think I, I agree. Like uh, the thing with Wilson is even if he's not playing well, he is the the Pete Carroll mouthpiece on the field and to the media. Um, I mean, I remember after, after uh, I think Seattle beat, they had a big win early in the season. It might have been their first game against San Francisco. And they went and talked to Earl Thomas, and his response was, this is all about Russell Wilson. I mean, that's a guy on the defensive side of the ball. They don't meet in the same meetings. You yeah. know, but, but I just think Carroll and Wilson have made themselves such the heads of this franchise that even though it's a young, inexperienced team, they always know where to look. Um for their leadership, and one of those guys is a second-year quarterback. I um, I definitely agree. I think Russell Wilson, to this point, has shown you know phenomenal leadership, um, great quality of character, says all the right things, does all the right things. That's great. This will be 
the defining moment, at least up until this point of his entire career. Yeah. If he goes out there and takes a dump, <laughs> uh, you know, it's people are really going to go, okay, well, you know. We saw some things that we didn't like, and now it manifests. You know, he's younger, and he doesn't have the, the playoff experience that you really need. I mean, outside of Safeco Field, we're really going to see uh, how that offense plays when they don't get to quiet the crowd down it's in to the their elements. level of comfort and all such such. Um, I agree with you. And, and, you know, he's been poised, Russell Wilson has been poised all the way up until this point, kind of preternaturally so, yeah. to use one of our favorite words. And I think this stage gives some guys the willies. It can creep some people out. I don't know if it will for Wilson. Um, but that kind of leads me to my next sort of topic or idea is that when I look at Denver, and I guess this comes from maybe the top down, you see Peyton Manning, you see John Fox. Manning's in his third Super Bowl. Fox has coached uh, the Carolina Panthers when they lost to New England. So experience at the top there and, and Champ Bailey, guys like that. There's a lot of experience on Denver. And I guess I would call it sort of a business-like poise versus kind of the Seattle swagger. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Seattle, young, youthful, brash. Which approach, I guess, do you like more? Do you like the kind of over-the-top confidence or just the quiet calm going into a, a big game? I'll tell you on Monday. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I like... Uh... Well, at least up until this point, I'm a, I'm a business kind of a person. I like that professionalism and kind of – and the experience just leaks out in droves, I think, from Denver, especially from Peyton Manning, having done this – this will be his third time, right? Yeah. Um, it's There's much more of a, a calm demeanor there. Like, it, it's, a, it's a very professional approach, but they also, they also seem more relaxed. Um, Seattle, and maybe it's just because the video – in some of the interviews that I saw, I think was literally right when they got into town, almost. You know, they g- just got off the bus from the airport and they started asking them questions. Yeah. And they seemed a little bit uh, like there was some frenetic energy there, something a little, a little, a lot of nervous energy, I guess, especially from Russell Wilson, a little bit from Pete Carroll. Richard Sherman even commented in in the article I referenced earlier that the stage is bigger than I thought it was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe it's good that he recognizes that or maybe that's something that Seattle is going to struggle for this whole week to get wrap their heads around. Um, but, you know, I've seen it before. I saw it last year with San Francisco. Um, I think Baltimore was probably the more experienced mm-hmm. team, Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and Kinda those guys. Kind of calm and cool and, cl- and just enjoying the ride right. but not, like, not looking around and going, Holy shit. And kind of knowing at the end of it, there will be a game. Mm-hmm. It'll all be settled on the field. Whereas I think if you're new to it, and even the 49ers veterans were new to the scene, it almost seems like it's everything but a game. And then the game starts and San Francisco's down 21 points in the first half. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that'll happen to Seattle, but I, I think if it were to happen to one of the two teams, I, I would think that, that the Seahawks are more likely to be prone to that type of start. Totally agree. Um, I thought it was interesting watching ESPN yesterday. And listening to Teddy Bruschi and Mark Schlereth talk about their Super Bowl kind of approach that they took. Um, and Teddy Bruschi's deal, and both of them kind of agreed that, you know, they love their families and all this stuff. But kind of once you get into town and on site, turn the phone off. Yeah. It's all about football. Um, Teddy Bruschi suggested that they, you know, if they're the kind of group that, that gets together and goes out and has a few drinks, that they do that on Monday. And kind of just go out and have fun with your buddies and then really set into work for the rest of the week. Yeah, it's it's almost, it's it's like an exercise in learning how to be in the moment. Yeah. Which is a very hard thing for all people to do, but especially when the biggest moment of your life is a week away. Yeah. But Monday and Tuesday, uh, and Wednesday even, there's not a whole lot that you can do. You probably worked a little bit on the game plan last week. Mm-hmm. You, 
and you know, 20 games into the year, both teams, everything's on fill. Yeah. You're good at this. We're good at this. We're both going to do it. And I think the best thing that, that these teams can do is, like you said, go forget about the game for a couple of days. Yeah. And then come Thursday, lock it in, go to bed at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock. Um, you know, have the Ambien nearby if yeah. you can't sleep. A little Benadryl. You know, just make sure that you're getting your rest. You know, I, I think if I played in the Super Bowl, I would, like, wrap myself in my hotel room for two weeks and never come out. Yeah, that's probably the best approach to take. Then I would burst on the scene like a phoenix. Like a jaguar. <laughs> I, I had a... Actually, I thought it was um really interesting and important to realize, like, you can't just pretend this is any other week, clearly. Look at, look at the surroundings. Look at the media attention. Look at, you know, everything about the Super Bowl. I mean, there's no way that you can pretend that this is just another week of football. But if you can kind of harness it and appreciate it, take it for what it is, enjoy the moment at least a little bit before getting down to work, that's helpful. Um, it was also interesting, Pete Carroll talking about taking the, the Bill Walsh approach when he gets his teams ready for championships, both college and now the Super Bowl, is the first week is all about kind of learning the game plan. And then the second week is just kind of refresh your memory, um, it's walk already through in it a place. little bit, yeah, and and just kind of kind of make sure that the learning is done in the first week, and then the second week is just kind of review and and kind of getting ready for it. Do you work early? Yeah. Um, John Fox, I have a question about. He, what does the fox say? That's my question. Um, no, it's not. But it's almost like he's kind of an anonymous figure. He, he yeah. He got Carolina to the Super Bowl with Jake DeLome, which is feet in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, he's in his second Super Bowl with his second team, but now it's kind of like, well, Peyton Manning got him there. Does he get respect if he wins a ring here, or is he just a coach? I think he get, you definitely have to give him some respect. It's even with Peyton Manning, as illustrated by last year, there's no shoe-in for no the guarantee. Super Bowl. I mean, and they're one or two big plays from an opposing team or one or two turnovers on their part away from maybe not being here. So you got to give him credit for, you know, the decisions he's made to put them in this position. Ba I mean, basically, it's it's he's just as much to thank for this, I think, as as any of the players are. Maybe a little bit less than Peyton. Yeah. Um, But for the most part, I mean, he's gotten them here. I mean, if you look at it, too, Denver was probably the best team in football last year. Uh, they, they got tripped up by a hot Ravens team who had some pretty fantastic luck yeah. uh, with the bomb over Raheem Moore's head and then Peyton Manning throwing a totally uncharacteristic interception across his body. I mean, Denver could easily be going for their second Super Bowl in two years, 26-6 and six over the course of the regular season. So, you know, I think Fox is a, a top 10 coach in the yeah. league, I would say. there's And there's there's not a lot of guys that have that staying power. I, mean, I think you have to tip your hat to him for that. Um, last thought before we get to some actual matchups. Marshawn Lynch is considering skipping today, media day. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't know while we're podcasting yet if he's going to do that. It would be a $100,000 fine if he did. He incurred a $50,000 fine for not talking during the season, um, which he actually made up by talking to the media NFL Japan in the playoffs, which was pretty interesting. Thoughts on the approach of not talking to the media? Do you have an issue with it? No, not not for him, because I think the reason that he's doing it is he's not the most eloquent guy. Like, he's not... Some people have trouble expressing themselves, and with this much scrutiny, I could see how that would be something that you could really get anxious about mm -hmm. and really worry about. And, and 
none of these guys want to look stupid on national television. And I, I just think, you know, with a, a guy like Marshawn, he's just not really comfortable with it. And I can't really blame him for that. And he's an interesting guy, too. He's super into giving to charity. He's got a bunch of foundations in Seattle. Um, you know, I've read a couple articles about him. He seems like a pretty articulate guy, but I think you're right. He's he's uncomfortable with the media spotlight. And it's almost parallels Frank Gore, who I remember during media day last year was sweating bullets. And he kept asking the media, is this almost over? Yeah. And he was like, I'm just getting tired, man. You know, yeah, like, he's like, it just, you know, it doesn't agree with certain people. And there's, you know, maybe a hundred million people that see media day. Yeah. So I don't really have a problem with it. I don't know why you should lose $100,000. That seems aggressive, yeah. Um, but that's the NFL. That's another thing Richard Sherman wrote in his piece is, no matter what happens, the NFL wins. Because yep. even if they find me, they're benefiting from what I did because it's on The View, it's on Good Morning America, yeah. it's on every, it's on CNBC. Um, so I just thought that was kind of a little interesting tidbit. I do appreciate that the fines seem relative to player income. Like Richard Sherman getting a $7,500 fine, he's a guy that only makes 500 some thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Um, so a hundred thousand dollar fine to him would be you know twenty percent of his of his income before taxes. We'll have to see what kind of fine Peyton Manning gets if he gives the big choke sign to Richard Sherman yeah. during the game, or if he does like the. Is there a prop bet on that in Vegas? I bet that's a million to one. Yeah, or if he pulls a, a pen or a cell phone out of his sock and does the to does a sharpie. I like that. Um, do you want to talk about matchups specific were... to personnel? Yes, more than anything. Yes, good, good enthusiasm. An enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Unbridled. Demarius Thomas versus Richard Sherman. That Ooh. is my most exciting matchup, I think. That's that's the, the headliner. Yeah. It's like the creme brulee. What do you feel? I was looking at, in my prediction for the game, Denver's three losses on the year, and he had something like four catches for 45 yards, four catches for 41 yards, and then like an 80-yard performance. So in their three losses, one of the, the consistent themes was Thomas wasn't you know, an explosive. He didn't have a 100, 150-yard game with a touchdown or anything like that. And I think Sherman will probably be able to do that same thing. Who, who do you like in that matchup? And, and, you know, what catches your eye about? It's going to be really fun to watch. Those are two very big-bodied, like, uber-athletic guys yeah. and kind of in the prime of their careers. Um, I, I guess, I mean, at this point, Normally, I, I my tendency would be to go with Demarius Thompson and give him the edge because he's maybe the most athletic person in football. About arguably. 6'4", 230 pounds. So even on Richard Sherman, he's got an inch and probably 20 pounds. And he runs faster than pretty much anyone else on the field at any given mm -hmm. time. Um, but Richard Sherman has given me no reason to doubt him up until this point. Um, I think it's going to be a, a grinding battle all day, I'm sure. Demarius, I mean, my guess, if I had to choose a line for him, you know, maybe three or four catches for 40, 50 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. Yeah, and I think if, if that happens, the Seahawks will count themselves lucky oh, because yeah, he's totally. their he's their big play. He's their biggest play threat. And I also think, um, you know, just watching Sherman's technique, he, you know, if, if, you, if he ran a 40, it might be a 4-5, probably not anything no. super impressive, but he doesn't give you any space to cut or turn and, you know, he... I think I saw him got beat, get beat on a double move one time against the Vikings earlier in the year, and I don't think I ever saw it again. No. Um, so it's not only his size, it's his technique and physicality. I will say, um, you know, Peyton Manning throws a lot of those back shoulder throws where it's not even about getting open. It's just about timing. It's about Demarius turning to his side at the right point, and that's yeah. pretty much indefensible. Um, and Demarius is faster than Richard Sherman. I think, you know, if he got a step, he would be able to beat him. But yeah. that... 
That being said, Peyton Manning is going to have to be able to deliver the ball 40 yards down the field in MetLife Stadium, and I'm not sure he's going to be able to do that. So I, I think Richard Sherman has the edge. I think he does too. Is what The thing that I think it'll probably come down to is timing, like you mentioned. Um, Peyton's a guy that likes to get rid of the ball fast, really yeah. fast. And if Richard Sherman jams up Demarius Thomas at the line of scrimmage and kind of delays his route running, that's going to get Peyton all sorts of all sorts of flustered, I think. And and you know you're right. It, it, I was I was trying to kind of count in the AFC Championship game how long did it take Peyton Manning to get rid of the ball, and yeah. it was always three seconds yeah. or less. Yeah, it's always. That it was snap, fast. you know, set up and get rid of it. He One, knew where two, he was going. Three balls gone. Yeah, I mean, and maybe sometimes faster than that. But Demarius Thomas is the guy that consistently wins against man-to-man coverage yeah. because he's the athletic advantage. Against Seattle, that's not going to happen. So I think you may see Peyton holding it for four or five seconds. And if that happens, that, that front seven, which seems to rotate 30 bodies in and out, is yeah. going to be coming and it's going to be hitting him often. So mm-hmm. I think I think not just is Demarius going to win that matchup, but will he be able to create separation and win one-on-one, if nothing else, for somewhere to, for Peyton to go the ball, you yeah. know, for, for somewhere for, for Peyton to throw the ball to, um, because the rest of the field is, is going to be full of blue helmets. I Another matchup that will be interesting, like you mentioned, um, will be Seattle's defensive line and Denver's offensive line. Denver's offensive line playing really well coming into this game. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to the Demarius Thomas thing, I think one thing that you may see them do, and that if it was me, I would do a lot, is kind of some some plays that they ran with him last year, some more screens and kind of swing passes. You did see more of that last yeah. year. And get the ball in his hands kind of kind of the way Seattle, I'm sure, will try and use Percy Harvin. Mm-hmm. Um, get get creative about getting the ball in his hands and, and getting him into some open field to run. And I think that's really the only way that they're going to have success um, with him, I think, against the Seattle secondary. I don't, I don't see him torching Richard Sherman for Deep, 200 no. yards. And know? it'll be interesting, you know, if they do some of those screen passes, the, the Seattle safeties are so fast and so aggressive. Does that get yeah. e- eaten up? Or, you know, if, if Seattle misses a tackle, it could, you know, maybe it's off to the races. So I, I think that'll be really interesting. Cam Chancellor comes through plays like that, like a like a cannonball. He's like a defensive tackle up. that plays safety. He How is big is he? He is terrifying. He's like two hundred and fifty pounds back there. Yeah, he's. I think he's like six four. Yeah, six four two thirty. Just like just built like a linebacker, and he runs like a gazelle. I think he could play linebacker in the league. He 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 kind of comes through and blows up all the blockers, and then little Earl Thomas comes in and, and snakes you. Does feisty things. Snake bites you. Um, I, that was the next matchup I wanted to talk about was Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor versus Welker and Julius Thomas because I think. Julius Thomas obviously has been a mismatch against so many teams, athletic tight end, but that's just not going to be the case, for, in my opinion, against Seattle. Um, and then Welker, I don't know. I, you know, I could see Earl Thomas singling up on him because they're both kind of that cat-quick, 5'10-ish, diminutive size, yeah. um, and Earl Thomas can cover like a corner. Who do you like, Welker, Julius Thomas, versus Seattle safeties? i, I got to go with Wes. I think even if they – even if – Denver decides that they want to put Earl one-on-one with West. That's not something they can do for the whole game because Earl's kind of their their most reliable over-the-top safety guy. Ball hawk. Yeah. The guy that they like to have kind of playing center field back there more than anyone else. And I think he's better at it than, than Cam Chancellor yeah. by leaps and bounds. Um, so, I mean, I think Wes is going to have his opportunities when he's got more favorable matchups, maybe against a linebacker or, you know, one of the one of the other defensive players that's not 
whose name isn't kind of in lights right now. Yeah, I, I, and I think it could be, you're right, I think it could be a 10-catch, maybe 15-target game for Welker, especially yeah. if Peyton, you know, is committed to say, I'm getting rid of the ball, I'm not going to take the hits, and Demarius isn't open. Yeah. Um, Welker may be the guy who, you know, has that little bit of space, and we've seen how he's like the artful dodger right yeah. there in the middle. Um, just like kind that. of just kind of finds a way to get open and and is crafty. I'm worried that he might get smashed a couple of times. Smashed? Yeah, by those linebackers and safeties. If Welker survives the game, I think Denver's got a good chance. They were actually talking about this uh, as Eric and I were on the way over here, listening to a little sports radio, and they were talking about Wes Welker and Percy Harvin, and how it's going to be really tough for Denver to match up with Percy unless they kind of take the Saints approach and smash him out of the game with a couple big hits. Um, and then there's some postulating on whether uh, Seattle might try and do that with, you know, Thomas or Welker, take a few shots and see if they can't, rat- you know, legal shots, yeah. but rattle their cage a little bit and maybe get them out of the game. Um, that's It'll be really interesting to see if anybody ends up taking a big hit and sitting out the rest of the game. Yeah, I think that'll be, I honestly think that'll be a theme with the way Seattle hits and how emotional they're going to play. Um I just, yeah, I just see Seattle coming into this game with something to prove. You know, they play in the Pacific Northwest. No one really pays any attention to them. A lot of people say, you know, it's all about the home field. Um, so I, I, I'm a little worried for Denver's offensive players' health. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how that aggression from the Seattle defense plays into what Peyton Manning wants to do and if he's able to take advantage. Maybe if Seattle's over-aggressive at times, mm-hmm. or if he's kind of suffocated by the pressure. You know what I would have really liked to see is what this defense would be like now and how they would play in the Super Bowl if Brandon Browner was still on the field. Yeah. I mean, if they had all the, the top guys that they could have out there, you could be looking at one of the best defenses ever. I think we still are. You know, I think speed-wise, scheme-wise, and the way they can rush the passer and cover you know, it's one of the best defenses I've seen since that 2000 Ravens defense, yeah. which I think set the all-time record for for points allowed. One of the best defenses I've seen since that, you know, Titans defense. 2008. 2008. Stat drop. Name drop. Um, One other matchup, I guess, and then I've got a couple other questions for you. Terrence Knighton, mm-hmm. old pork chop, pot roast, I don't know what his name is. Pea chop. Um, versus kind of the interior, interior of that Seattle line, and then Danny Trevathan um, kind of behind him as the as the athletic roaming linebacker. Um, I think that's going to be key for Denver is can Knighton eat up two blocks and, you know, because if Marshawn Lynch doesn't play well, it's over. I don't think Seattle can win. <laughs> no, and I, I was just going to say the same thing. If Marshawn doesn't have, you know, 85 to 130 yards, somewhere in there, um, Seattle's offense is really going to struggle. It'll be, Danny Trevathan is super athletic and I really like, I really like his, his uh, ball hawking skills. I like, I like him in coverage a lot. But I'll be curious to see how he's playing in the third and fourth quarter after Marshawn has Hits him in the smashed chest. him a hundred times. You yeah, know? yeah, I think that'll be interesting because I think you're right. There's there's also perception that Seattle's offense is kind of smash mouth, and maybe Denver's is more finesse, rush the passer, and cause turnovers. Yeah. Um, and I think if it turns into a fist fight, that could be a problem for Denver as well. Marshawn, he's a, an odd kind of specimen that you watch him take and deliver just enormous blows. You know, time and time again, 
but it never really seems to wear on him all that much. He he no. kind of feeds off that. He always gets better throughout the game. I know that's kind of a cliche, but it's really true for him. Works up a lather. For the first half, it'll be like nine carries for 18 yards, and then the second half, he averages five yards a yeah. carry and a 50-yard touchdown run. Yeah, he always and he always does seem to do. That. I think if he breaks one of those 30, 40, 50-yard runs, that could be um, with how good that defense is. Another, you know, Seattle doesn't need much. Um, wanted to talk a little bit about your favorites for Super Bowl MVP. Ooh, who who would you? Can we say outside of Peyton? Outside of Peyton, because he's the obvious choice. Yeah. I can't. Who else would it be for Denver? Maybe Demarius Thomas or Wes Welker? Yeah, I think so. I think those are really the only three that I could... Maybe Eric Decker, if, if he has one of those three or four touchdown type games. And he's, he's the, the guy that wins yeah. his matchup. And he he might be. I mean, it's kind of a pick-your-poison thing with Denver. Um, or if for, if, for whatever reason, Seattle's so focused on all those athletic wide receivers that no Sean Marino has a huge game or something like that. Yeah, finds um, the end zone a few times. Maybe, but my, my guess would probably be one of those three. I think it might be Richard Sherman. You think so? I, I think, well, if he plays like Richard Sherman, if all the other stuff doesn't get into his head, because um, I know part of the Super Bowl MVP is how much pub do you have going into the game, yeah. and no one besides Peyton is going to have more publicity than, than Sherman. I don't think I think Sherman's even possibly gotten more than Peyton at this point. Yeah, I mean it, it very well could be. And if you look at like Ray Lewis when he won the Super Bowl MVP in, in 2000 with that Ravens team, he only had five tackles, but all eyes were on him for that game and everything he did. It was like look at him and ooh and ah. So I think if if Richard Sherman plays a game where you know he may not have an interception, but Demarius is is quiet, um, I think you may you know and obviously if Seattle wins the game, I think you may see some sentiment for for Richard Sherman. I. I think uh, we may have a, a little dark horse MVP candidate in Marshawn. Pete Carroll. In Pete Carroll. He's <laughs> going to get out there and strap it on. He's going to chew some gum and return kicks. Yeah. Uh, no, but if, if I think if the Seattle offense focuses so heavily around Marshawn Lynch um, that if he has a, a big game or a, a good game and it's kind of the, the key to their their success, I don't see why he couldn't be considered. Yeah, and, and I think it'll be one of those games where if things are going the way Seattle wants, he should get the ball 25 times. Yes. Um, because not only is that their best offense, it's also one of their best defensive strategies to keep Manning off the field. I also think maybe like a Golden Tate um, or or Percy Harvin. Yeah. Um, just I really hope it's I not really Percy hope it's not Harvin. Percy because I don't like him personally. He chased Leslie Frazier off a practice yeah, field. And he just he, doesn't. He hasn't played. He, he hasn't didn't played get them here. No, I mean, he didn't get them here. It would make me mad, but I could see you know Percy breaking loose on a punt return and then one of those little fly sweep handoffs yeah. that he gets. He's gonna be something that Denver can't really prepare for film wise. And every time you see Percy Harvin on the field, he's faster than you thought he was. He's faster than everybody on the field. Yeah. Um. I really hope he comes out of the tunnel and gets hit by one of those little golf carts <laughs> and, you know, sprains his, his, uh, medulla, oblongata. Whatever vaginal muscle he keeps hurting. Um, yeah, or maybe he gets hurt by, you know, like the halftime chill. Yeah. Just rolls yeah. right over him. Or they, they go to tape his ankle and his leg just falls off. Or maybe the lights are too bright and he gets a migraine. Uh, I, one thing I did, I did want to point out, um, before we move on, Marshawn Lynch. Yes, I heard sir. an interesting stat. Over the last three seasons, three NFL seasons, nobody has more 100-yard rushing games than Marshawn Lynch. I think if he goes for 100 yards, because it's not, like we said, he's I think he's about 4.2 yards a carry on the season. It's going to be one of those. He got, you know, a yeoman's type of, of workload. Yeah. Um, 
and I think if that happens, that'll that'll be good news for Seattle. Um, enough foreplay. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Beating around like freshmen in a panty girdle. Who do we like and why? Benjamin. <sighs> it's This is really hard. I mean, I thought I had my mind made up on the drive over here. Also, and, now, and all this postulating has really confused me. For the pick down, this is worth three million points. No. <laughs> so no. Ben, if you pick wrong, you will lose. Just the postseason, though. Regular no, you lose ball. everything and you game. get fired from the podcast. Oh, can't happen. Um, Eric's already been fired. He's not here anymore. Oh, Just I kidding. Do I have to pick now? Oh, I'll give you my pick. Okay. You sit there and listen to knowledge get dropped on okay. your brain. Okay. Lucky little boy. I'm lucky. All right. So I wrote, and I've got my piece. It'll it'll come up sometime soon, right, Eric? Yes. He says yes. Um, I like Seattle swagger. I like. I just like their attitude. I like the Sherman matchup. Um, I think the front seven. We've seen Peyton Manning struggle with front sevens that show you different alignments, like the Patriots and the Ravens have over the years. Different guys are standing up. You don't know where the pressure's coming from. No matter how many times he yells Omaha, he's not going to get the right look. I think Lynch punishes him on the ground. Um, I'm going to take a low-scoring game, and I think Seattle wins 20-16, to 16, which would be a pretty impressive performance if you can hold Denver to 16 points. I've reinvigorated myself okay. on my pick. Ben's ready. Um, I'm going to go with Denver. Yes, I'm going to win. I think Maybe. there's just like – we talked a little bit about the professional, you know, business-like approach. I mean, looking at Peyton Manning right now. Let me just say, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm rooting for Denver. You are? Oh, yes. Okay. Um, but just looking at, I mean, he looks very relaxed. Uh, he looks prepared. He doesn't look worried. Uh, like he's kind of enjoying the ride, enjoying being here again. And that's kind of the approach Denver has taken, at least thus far. I, I just think Seattle's lack of big game experience is going to show. It hasn't showed up yet. No, and it's gonna. It's got to show up at some point. And, and they've been this, at home throughout the playoffs. I think this is going to be the game. I think Denver's receivers are probably the most athletic that they'll face all year. Um, and the deepest. I mean, they've got, they've literally got four guys that can beat you if you don't cover one of them. So, and I think they're going to run the ball effectively like they have kind of throughout the playoffs. Um, I think it'll, it won't be a high scoring game, but I'm going to take Denver 24 17. I like it. I hope you're right. I also think, you know, to your point that, that Peyton seems relaxed, I don't think he buys the legacy BS that we, I mean, it's good for us as fodder to talk about, yeah. and it's fun to rank players in the hierarchy. Peyton knows it's damn hard to win football games, and I think that he's honestly comfortable with. I, I'm Regardless on my, of the outcome, I'm on my fifth MVP. Yeah. I'm in my third Super Bowl. I mean, it's pretty unrealistic. I'm not Tom Brady, and maybe if I was in his scenario, I'd have those other rings. I ha somebody put stem cells in my neck for God's sake. Yeah, so I, I just think Peyton understands that that his legacy is secure. I think in his mind, yeah, he's. He's done everything that he can, and he's gotten a team here that was 8-8 eight and eight with Tim Tebow. And yeah. now all of a sudden, they're the best team in the league two years in a row. He's super comfortable, I think, in his own skin now, much more than he was earlier with all the pressure, and especially before he won the Super Bowl. Um, my God, can you imagine the, the conversation? The yeah, stress. he's got a ring now. He's been to us. This is his third you know, appearance. Uh, um, if you're a Seattle fan, I apologize because it probably means you're going to lose since yeah. I picked you. Yeah. If you're a Denver fan, rejoice. Ben Sherman won both the regular season and postseason, so most likely Denver's going to win. I'm going to knock on wood because I do hope to pick the right team. Yeah. Um, I just I feel like everything's kind of building, building up to this kind of really fantastic moment for Peyton and one shining moment. Yeah, and a, a kind of a 
what could be, I mean, maybe not if he comes back and has more success, but what could be kind of the keystone, capstone of his career. Kind of an L.A.-esque ride of the sunset, just as Ray Lewis, as, as team president, uh, John Elway did for the Broncos. Who's John Elway? John Denver. Wait, is Terrell Davis playing this weekend? Yep, zone read, running scheme. Um, I also, just last thought on the Super Bowl, I think we're lucky as sports fans to get this matchup. I mean, literally, and, and, you know, Bill Barnwell on Grantland was writing an article about Seattle's defense about how, you know, numbers-wise it's not the best of all time, but also you have to figure in that offenses are scoring more than they ever have. So, you know, Seattle's defense along 14.4 points per game relative to, you know, say Baltimore doing it 14 years ago. It's almost more impressive what Seattle's doing in this era of passing and spreading it out and scoring. So, I think we may be looking at one of the best defenses of all time against statistically the best offense of all time. Even though I'm a 49er fan, you know, it's and I don't like the Seahawks. This is the Seattle was the best team in the NFC, Denver was the best team in the AFC. I don't think we could get a better matchup. No, and I won't be disappointed no matter who wins. It's a good story. I just want to watch. Way. Yeah. My team's out of it. I'm done. I'm done caring. Yeah. Just get a watch. It would be re- and is is I know you're rooting for Denver. Um, I'm kind of I could go either way. I, I want to see a good game. I could justify either either kind of team to for me personally to hope wins. But if Seattle did win, I wouldn't be upset. I mean, that's a that's a city that is invested in that team. They love that team heavily over the last you know 25 years and watch them kind of crawl out of a garbage pile and then and then kind of rebuild themselves after the Matt Hasselbeck car wreck. Yeah, there was um. There was a fan piece um, on, I think again on Monday Morning Quarterback, and it was a, it was an author from the Seattle area writing about why are we so crazy about this team? And he said this team embodies Seattle. No, people forget about us. They stereotype us. We're you know up, like I said, in the Pacific Northwest where no one wants to give us any attention, and we feed off them. They feed off of us. And you know I. I see, like, you know, as, as a 49er fan, I go to their website, and I see a lot of message board stuff about, I, I hate Seattle, I hope they lose, I hope they lose, I hope they lose. But really, wouldn't you think as a fan of, of the 49ers, it would kind of behooves you almost to root for Seattle. You almost beat that team yeah. on the road. I, from, I, they're from your division. From our division. I don't really get that fan approach. The reason I'm rooting against Seattle is because I like Peyton Manning. Yeah. don't like Pete Carroll. But but I guess we'll in summation, it's going to be a great game, a great matchup, and I, I think it's honestly kind of a coin flip game. Peyton Manning, 5,477 passing yards this year, 55 touchdowns. Knowledge. Let's Drop just on you. Let's put a, some icing on the cake. Let's ice that cake. Let's take a break, Skipoo. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the top five athletes that should have done more with their talent, excluding Ben Sherman. back to the one and only day in sports podcast i think i forgot to do the intro stuff again so i'll do that here do it the day in sports.com the day in sports on facebook download us on itunes just search the day in sports and then if you want to get some great artichoke dip recipes follow us on twitter t-d-i-s underscore humble brag on twitter tweet at us wait what's twitter again it is uh it's like facebook but smaller okay for small people. I'll get it someday. It's for the short. It's for short people. I do want that artichoke dip, though. I'm short. That's for you. Twitter is for you. 
You know who's not for me? Randy Newman. Your arms are too short to box with God, Ben. Um, top five athletes that should have done more with their talent. I thought about this last night, something that I think about often, so I thought it'd be a fun little podcast segment. I'm excited. Um, my first, this isn't in, in like particular order. These are just the five guys I came up with, so I'm not ranking the most disappointing ever. These okay. are just my five names. Danny Manning. Interesting. Kansas uh, alum. I don't know. I don't think he graduated. Number one pick. Um, when he came out, he he came out around the same time as Jordan, maybe a year after him. Um, was more highly touted than Michael was at that point. This was supposed to be the next guy. Um, he only ended up scoring 14 points a game because of injuries and, and some nagging knee issues and things like that. But um, he was 6'10". He was graceful. He was kind of Kevin Durant-esque, but maybe more polished in the post. Um, and so I just saw, I, I mean, I think people thought Danny Manning was going to be an all-time great. Uh, it was Danny and the Miracles. He led Kansas to the national title game. Um, and it just didn't happen for him. He was really kind of a glorified sixth man, uh, in the NBA. My next, and I want your reaction on this one, Randy Mouse. Um, I, I, I'll let you pitch it first and then I'll react. How's that? Sound? Okay. But you disagree initially. Well, Let's just, I'll let you, I'll let you see. Okay, so here's here's my notes. Here's what my notes say. Um, Randy, you know, at his best was was probably the most vertically dominant receiver of all time um, in terms of stretching a defense. But when he was in Oakland, he had seasons of 49 catches, 60 catches, 42 catches, um, which were basically three wasted years. I know he didn't have great quarterback play, but if you know Randy, you also know he probably quit basically during those years. Um, with Minnesota... His average uh, yards per game, 82.4, would rank only behind Calvin Johnson for most receiving yards per game. In Oakland, that dipped to 53 yards per game. Uh, he just became pretty much a nobody. And if he would have just stayed at his, at his Minnesota level while he was in Oakland, he would have 1,500 more receiving yards over his career, which would make him second instead of third all time. Um, and I just think you... I never saw a receiver as talented as Randy Moss. I never saw one as fast. I never saw somebody that could work the sideline like that or had hands like that. Yeah, He should have been the best all-time, but he wasn't. Mm -hmm. I, I guess I do agree to some extent. Top five, he's not in my top five, but okay. I, he did have a lot of quit in him. His attitude wasn't great. Um, and had he had the work ethic of you know, a guy like Jerry Rice or Chris Carter, um, yeah, he'd probably be, be on top of that list. So I, I guess there's not really much of an argument to make about that. He runs over he runs over traffic police, for God's sake. Yeah, I mean, I picked some guys that obviously, I mean, Randy Moss is still a Hall of Fame guy. I just thought he could have he could have <clears> done more. The next guy on my list kind of along the same lines, Shaquille O'Neal. I love Shaq. Um, listen, I know he had four championships. He won an MVP. Um, but at times when I'd watch him, Kind of like Moss, I thought this is the most dominant athlete I've ever seen play basketball. But mm -hmm. he ate what he wanted. He famously said, I get in shape and I get healthy on company time, meaning during the season. Yeah. Because uh, he thought, Fair enough. thought the offseason was time for him to eat pasta bowls. Um, oh, if that's, if that's what you think, I mean, he was loading up on, on much worse than that, I'm sure. Some chocolate, triple chocolate cake. Donut breakfast sandwich. Um, but you look at his numbers, 27... Points, 12 boards, 3 blocks when he was with L.A., and that was kind of his prime. Uh, 27 and 13 with Orlando. His best season that he ever had was 30 points, 14 rebounds, 4 assists, and 3 blocks a game. I mean, just think about how dominant that is, but 
He only ever shot 52% uh, from the line for his career. If he could have made that just 65%, a pretty average number, he would have totaled almost 1,400 more points in his career. Um, could have raised his career average by another point. And I just think he could have kept his window of dominance open much longer had he stayed in shape. Yeah. And could have aged much more gracefully if he could have made foul shots. Two things, I think, that might have made him the best of all time that, that he just didn't do. He just didn't put the work in. Watching him shoot free throws was one of the more entertaining sports things that you... I mean, it's like... Because that basketball in his hands looks like a basketball ball or yeah. something. You know, it's, it's just like... It was like watching a giant try and play sports. I like how he would kind of pretend to shoot it like a normal guy. He'd bring the guide hand up yeah. like he was going to have a normal stroke, and, and then he would just throw it yeah. with one hand at the rim. And it was like his fingertips, like he was trying to be so ginger about yeah. it, and it was just the most awkward thing. One thing I will hack, say about him is that, to that point, when he did get hacked at the end of the games, especially in the playoffs, for some reason he'd go for like nine nine for nine down the stretch, yeah. which is like the antithesis of Dwight Howard, who just gets worse. You love Dwight Howard. Uh, I, I wrote an article about him. Is he on this list? No, no. He's in consideration, I'm sure. Yeah, I thought about him, but uh, he's too much of a loser to make this list. Um, <laughs> Michael Vick. Um, I, was, I was happy with this selection. I thought he was the fastest player in the league, probably had the biggest arm. I would say Michael Vick might be the most physically gifted player I've ever seen uh, on a football field, certainly at the quarterback position. He can never stay healthy, though. Uh, obviously had a bad attitude to start the dogfighting thing. He was inaccurate. His career passing percentage is 56%. I think our league average is about 60, and the elite guys are, are, are competing 65 or, or completing 65% of their balls. So, I mean, he was a far cry from a, from a true pocket passer. But he's run for almost 6,000 yards in his career, over 7 yards in, uh, per attempt. And one year in Atlanta, he ran for about 1,100 yards. I remember eight, that. 8 yards per clip. Um, I think one of his huge runs came against the Vikings. Oh, and several of them. Yeah. Oh, an entire so, game's worth of them. I just thought I'd never seen a guy who had the potential to have the ball in his, his hand every snap and dominate like he could, mm -hmm. both with his arm and his legs. What do you think of the Vic pick? I like it. Yeah. Um... Not somebody I immediately thought of. I don't know how he fell off my mental radar, but I think he fits in well. Michael Vick. Last guy on my list is uh, is Lawrence Phillips. I thought you were going to say Lawrence Taylor for a second. No, he got plenty out of his town, although yeah. he probably could have got more, too. Yeah. Um, Lawrence Phillips, I, this is like an ode to uh, seven-year-old Adam. Nostalgic Adam. Yeah. Because um, I remember, like, my first college football memory was, like, Tommy Frazier and those dominant Nebraska football teams. I think they maybe won three titles in a row or Big two Red. or three. Um, and he, Lawrence Phillips, was just kind of the epitome of that team. Lots of trouble, but brash and talented. And um, his sophomore year, he ran for 1,800 yards, six yards per carry. He was the sixth pick by the Rams. He had 33 collegiate touchdowns. Dick Vermeil, who coached guys like Marshall Falk, said that Lawrence Phillips may have been the best back that he ever coached. Um, but drugs, suspensions, off-the-field stuff never really allowed him to uh, to get it together, I think he filed for bankruptcy eventually. It was kind of that tragic, tragic classic tale that we see in the NFL. But Lawrence Phillips is my last guy. He is? Yes. I yep. like your list. So Lawrence Phillips, Michael Vick, Shaq, Danny Manning, and Randy Moss. You should be ashamed of yourselves. You you put some some heart and soul into that. Yeah. It took me like an hour. It or, did? Or maybe like five minutes. Did it? I won't tell you. Okay. Ben, I think it's your turn for the list. 
Um, so these aren't really in any particular order, Okay. I don't think, um, as far as gravity goes, but here we go. Uh, top of my list, or bottom, however you want to look at it, I have been kind of catching up on my ESPN 30 for 30s. Oh, yeah. And I went with a uh, little Marcus Dupree action. Ooh, that's a good one. The, the best, best that, that never was. was. Yeah. Um, what I mean, you, you watch this guy, the tape in high school and college, and he was literally like the most athletic person I've ever seen. Adrian Peterson-esque. Yeah. And maybe even, faster. And maybe faster and maybe bigger. I mean, they said when he was 14, he was like 6'1 and 200 pounds. Especially given the era he grew up in where not everyone looked like that. Yeah, and he just came from this small town in the middle of nowhere. Um, he actually came from, uh, and of course the name of the town is also escaping me. So that's okay. Uh, it's but okay, man. it was a huge kind of boiling point um, for civil rights activism and all this stuff. But regardless, uh, he went to Oklahoma as probably one of the highest, most highly touted recruits ever. And after being there for a year with um, Barry Switzer. Who kind of ruined him. You know, a lot of people blame Barry Switzer for that. I don't. Um, he did it to himself, Dupree did, I think. He yeah, got, he wasn't ready. He got terrible advice from people around him that kind of pushed him to leave Oklahoma and before realizing that he would have to sit out for a whole year and all this stuff. And um, as, a, as a result of that terrible advice, A, he dropped out of college, never, never made it into the NFL draft, at least not at that point, and then went to the USFL and just destroyed his, his knee. And kind of much like Maurice Claret, although Claret wasn't <clears throat> nearly as physically talented, but, a, you know, kind of a hot freshman whose life, you know, fell apart yeah. after that first year. And much the same way the fame got there much before the trusted advisors yeah. did. And so basically, I mean, what would you do when you're 18 or 19? And you come, like you said, from these small town roots where you haven't seen any of this, and then all of a sudden you're the epicenter of a university. It's... It's hard for me to blame Marcus, yeah. Um, just like it's hard for me to blame Maurice. Um, but I guess, yeah, maybe Switzer does get... Switzer was just trying to be tough on him. Yeah. And, I mean, Switzer won, what, three titles at Oklahoma? Yeah. So and it's not as if he didn't know what he was doing. He changed his whole offense to focus on Marcus. He went from a wishbone to um, your kind of standard eye formation. <laughs> um, and he even said, he was like, you know, I didn't put him in there right away. Clearly, he was the most talented guy we had. Most athletic guy. I didn't put him in there right away because there, there are guys that have been here for three or four years working their, their asses off to get where they are now, and this freshman comes in and I'm just going to drop him right in the middle. I can't do that. I just can't do that. i, I got to be tough on him. I can't you know, give him preferential treatment just because he's a physical freak. And I don't think that um, on Marcus's side, he was used to sitting in line. I think he was no. probably the number one tailback when yeah. he was a freshman. Um, it was, it's a very, as all those 30 for 30s are, very well done. Yeah, and he, I think it was like, the first three games they didn't start him and they ended up losing to some, you know, almost nobody school and then they put him in and it was 75-yard touchdown runs every game pretty much. instant, yeah. Um, I also thought it was interesting with him how he sort of foretold his injury. Yeah. Um, and maybe because he was thinking so much, he would call his parents or his friends and say, I'm, I just feel a, a big injury coming. Yeah. Uh, and when he blew his knee out the USFL, he called his agent or something and said, this is the Like day. that morning, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, I mean, a guy that came into, after sitting out um, from football practice and all that stuff for weeks, came into a bowl game against, uh, I think it was Stanford, one of the, supposedly the top rushing defense in the country, way out of shape, way overweight, still ran for almost 300 yards, um, 
and I, I, at least a touchdown. It was it was just unbelievable. And then after he tore his knee, he was out for five years. Yeah, he got really, he got really fat, ballooned to three hundred pounds, and then just decided, hey, I'm going to go make the Rams. Yeah, and got in shape in about four months and, and did made it. the NFL. Freak. I mean, really, just freakish a, talent. Yeah, unbelievable. This one I think is going to blow you away. The next on my list, I'm strapped in. Are you strapped on? Joe Mauer. Ooh, I like. Uh, one of the great hitting catchers in baseball history. Um, he brings MVP or had at least brought MVP caliber play to the team for at one of the more important positions for years and years. But he never he kind of seemed to shrink in the postseason. He never yeah. really delivered in the playoffs. And for all of the the great numbers and kind of the the great regular season performances that he, he just never really came through and never really kind of pushed it to that next level. I always also thought, given his size, that he could become more of a power threat. Yeah. Maybe playing catcher robbed his legs of some of that juice. But um, what was he, 6'4", 230 pounds? Yeah. I always thought he, he, he was just he more of a slap hitter. Yeah. Um, which obviously he's, he's hits 330 for his career. I just thought he could have been, you know, 20, 25 home runs as well, which he's done maybe once or twice. One time he had a 26 home run season one time. Okay. And the rest of them has been like 10, 9, 12 in yeah. there. I mean... Who knows? But I, I still think, for, for as much as I appreciate for what he's done for the Twins and all that stuff, I still think that he has, for for his potential, he never really reached the, the pinnacle of that. He got hurt a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Joe in a nutshell. Joe Schmo. Number three. Three. Yep. Another one I don't think you're going to see coming. Okay. Allen Iverson. I can see it. Um, I think he could have been one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Physically, one of the most talented basketball players I've ever watched. Um, but he just, you know, the whole, I, I don't want to harp on that whole practice thing, but he just never had that championship caliber work ethic to go with that, the star power and the talent that he had. I mean, he, he literally, if he had committed, kind of taken the, the straight and narrow approach and did everything he could to win a championship, I mean, you could have been talking about 76ers dynasties or a dynasty at that point, I think, with the kind of talent that he brought. I'm going to fight you. You're going to fight me? Well, wait, one, one second. On Iverson, I want to fight you. I mean, he's still, he's still a great career, still really talented, but I think he never really committed wholeheartedly and didn't reach the pinnacle of his potential. Yeah, he definitely had some issues with the media and with what, what the perception versus who Allen Iverson was. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say, I mean, he was six feet tall. He led that Sixers team to the finals against the Lakers, and... I mean, they had Eric Snow and Aaron McKee were starting on that team. I mean, guys that couldn't throw it in the ocean. You love Eric Snow. Um, Eric Snow is one of the worst point guards I think I've ever seen. And they were always like, he's such a leader. Um, he had a lot of intangibles because he had zero tangibles. But I think if, uh, and actually the 76ers were the only team to take a single game from that Lakers squad that had Shaq and Kobe uh, in the second year of their three-peat. Uh, I mean, again, he ran up against a behemoth, and he ran up against basically his mirror image in Kobe Bryant, who was six inches taller. Yeah. I think for being six feet tall, the reckless abandon he played the game with, I know he wasn't the best teammate always, maybe the mm -hmm. best practice guy, but when he was on the floor, kind of remind me of Johnny Manziel. Yeah. Um, would do things that you didn't think were possible, um, played with a physicality that he sh maybe shouldn't have for being 180 pounds, just like Manziel. I, I love Iverson as a scorer and a playmaker. I think mm -hmm. you're right. In a different situation, or maybe when he went to, to Denver yeah. and played with Carmelo, they could have done more there. Um, pro, prolific, prolific scorer, but 
But yeah, I mean, it, I think if he'd invested more into the franchise instead of just, you know, I'm going to show up and play really well, and, and maybe been a more willing court, passer. Yeah, and off the court, just invested more in the franchise and been been there, go to get somebody that they know that they could invest in and feel comfortable about it. The story would have been different, I think. But it, yeah, and then and then I think you know when you see him go to Denver. He joined up with Mello, which I mean, they're pretty late later in his career. Yeah, and too. it's the same guy. It's yeah. it's two guys, one six eight, one six foot, that like to shoot forty two percent from the field and shoot a lot. Yeah. Um. So that was always kind of a flawed pairing. It would have been interesting if you could have uh, flipped Iverson and Kobe, and if Iverson had played with Shaq. Oh yeah. To see what the difference might have been. Um. But I also think Kobe was a, a better defensive presence just because he was six 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 seven. Um, could rebound, could play in the post, could do a little bit more. Um, but I, 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 interesting pick. I like Allen. I think he was a very underrated perimeter defender. He, you know, obviously not the size to do it. Excellent stealing the ball. Um, but quick hands. Um, he he always broke down. He, he you know, you never really could get him off balance and, right. and kind of break his ankles, so to speak. But um, yeah. I I just think. He might have been the most athletic six foot player I've ever seen. Yeah, and I, I think if he had wholeheartedly, like I said, invested in the franchise off the court as well as on it, I mean, you play well at game time, but that's only part of the responsibility I think that comes with being a professional athlete. Yeah. So and, and, and Iverson, you know, over the last five years, four years, has not been able to. He's played overseas. He hasn't been able to crack an NBA team, mostly because he said himself, "I'm not a sixth man." Yeah. If he would have been willing to, I mean, you can still play 30 minutes a game as a sixth man. You just happen to come off the bench. Yeah. But, you know, maybe not now, but four years ago, he would have been a perfect sixth man to come in and chip in 15 points a game. But I think part of what you're saying is that ego, that personality kind of always um, undermined his, his overall legacy. And it's hard to say how much of a role that played in the success he did have to begin with. The ego and the confidence and all that stuff. probably got him to where he was. But at the same time, you'd like to see him you know, look at the bigger picture and maybe I think he could have done more had he been more committed to the responsibilities that, that came with being that, but whatever. Next, Ryan Leaf. I like that. Uh, Heisman candidate, college football great from Wazoo. Uh, selected as the second overall pick, San Diego Chargers. Widely considered one of the top draft busts of all time. Bad behavior and idiocy rampant with Ryan Leaf. Can I um, tell you a little tidbit I just read about Ryan Lee? Isn't he in jail or something now? Well, yes, he is. Um, he purposefully, before the 1998 draft, blew off a meeting with Jim Mora and the Colts because he did not want to go there. Mm. So his agent said, blow off the meeting. Jim Mora is, like is a hothead. He'll go nuts, <laughs> yeah. which most coaches would. He yeah. did go nuts. And whether or not he would have been the pick, whether or not he'd gone to that meeting, I don't know. But a little insight into what made Ryan Leaf Ryan Leaf ends up with San Diego and the rest is... Leaf story is infamy. Yeah, I just watching him melt down under like the building pressure in the NFL was hilarity. Um, so Ryan Leaf and kind of in, in a very similar vein, Jamarcus Russell. Yeah, um, both big guys, huge arms. Yeah, not seemingly for neither guy. Not very much between the ears. No, and I, I my biggest thing with Russell, um, I think he had every physical tool he needed. Maybe not the smartest guy, but he could have gotten by on his athleticism had he not gotten fat and drank like codeine syrup all day. Yeah, he was kind of he was kind of what could have happened to Brett Favre, except Brett Favre went the opposite direction. Went the opposite. Uh, apparently, codeine was Brett Favre's spinach. Yeah, and it was kryptonite for Ryan Lee. Yeah, er, and uh, Jamarcus Russell. Um, he had literally the world handed to him on a silver platter. I mean, all that money, 
all he had to do was fifty like, million dollars. And you know, after that, you're not gonna a guy like that that's dumb and fat isn't gonna succeed. And on the Raiders. And on the Raiders. And then uh, we we finally did uh, crack the mystery thanks to Eric of the linebacker who I've been trying p- to think of pining over. Um, and he'll get an honorable mention. It's Lavar Arrington. Yeah. Super talented. Super talented. Certainly underperformed. Uh, your theory was that it was because he played for the Washington Redskins for five years. <laughs> well, stuff happens there. All right? I'm just saying. Stuff Dan, happens in the Dan Nation's Dan Snyder capital. once fired somebody for getting on the elevator with him. He rides alone. That's true. Um, and I just think that it was like a staffer. And he just really? fired them for getting on the on the elevator. He's supposed to ride alone. Um so that's that. But I would go to prison for if he fired me. I would I would be him. welcome the prison sentence of assault that yeah. you'd get from that because he deserves that. But yeah, Lavar, I remember highlights of him at Penn State, like flying off the corner, jumping over uh, blockers. I mean, yeah. he was just a he looked like Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, and it, I mean, I think even more may have even more than the same number. Yeah, was that fifty six? Fifty six, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Um, one of those guys that you kind of and he just. It, it, for him, it wasn't didn't seem so much as like maybe like it was with Jamarcus Russell, where it's just you know laziness and all this stuff. It was just he just never really mentally checked in. Yeah, I think he survived off of talent for a few years, then he got injured. I don't know if he. I think I think he was. I mean, if you he's been part of the media. Yeah, uh, Arrington. I think he's an intelligent guy. Yeah, and I think maybe sometimes guys like that say, you know. Look at what's happened to other guys. Mm-hmm. I know I could be great at this, but I could also probably make a good career in the media. Yeah. And they've and, already paid me a bunch of money. Yeah, and maybe I don't want to not be able to walk when I'm forty or be, you know, eating out of a straw when mm-hmm. I'm fifty. So Who doesn't want that? So those are my guys. What do I you like think? it. Did you I like I, I like the LeVar Arrington. It was almost cathartic because we tried to think of him for like four hours. Yeah. It's like it was, it was like scratching a deep, deep itch. It was a tip of the tongue teaser, if you will. The tip of the tongue, the teeth and the lips. I've <laughs> got one little topic left. Top, hot topic? And then we'll leave you alone. You can stop listening. Okay. Because everyone knows you can't press pause during the Dan Sports Podcast. No. Unless you have to go to the bathroom. Ryan Braun made his first public appearance and comments uh, in front of some Brewers fans on some sports deck TV show thing. What else? Um, and he got heckled a little bit by one guy was just saying, you know, how can we believe anything you're saying? That type of stuff. Braun was typically, you know, predictably apologetic and... um but I guess my question is, obviously, you know, anything he says now isn't going to mean a lot to us. Will his teammates trust him again? You know, we've seen cheaters in the past been unable to stop cheating. Mm-hmm. A-Rod, um, it kind of gets in their blood and their psyche. I can't be a player without it. But he's only 29. Um, he plays in a small market. You know, if he can go the rest of his career without testing positive, can he redeem himself or are all these guys damaged goods? Uh, I think he hit the nail on the head. He plays in a small market. Yeah, uh, Brewers fans, we will don't take care. anybody if they perf- if they perform well. As a Brewer fan, I don't care. Yeah, I, I mean, just hope he plays well. If he plays well, I think the fans will welcome him back. At least the Brewers fans will welcome him back. I, well, I mean, the Giants welcomed Barry Bonds when he was. I mean, like he might as well have injected himself at, at home plate. Yeah. Um. So we've seen that he'll be fine with Brewers fans, but to the greater extent, will Major League Baseball, you know, embrace him again? I don't think not more than they shun him. I think the shunning part's probably going to remain. Um, he kind of is like the the slightly less egregious version of A Rod with what he did. He's like, younger, not a repeat offender yet. I'm not a big Ryan Braun fan. 
I think this is. I think you're it's gonna, hard to be at this point. You're going to see the Hebrew Hammers' career decline pretty aggressively. From It'll be here interesting. On out. It'll be interesting to see if he can if he can still play well. One without the performance and answers, and two with all the scrutiny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully we didn't leave a bad taste in your mouth. Podcast. Ne- never listeners. in mine. I brush my teeth. Um, I've got Seattle. You've got Denver. We gave you our top five underachieving athletes. And Ryan Braun will never have any friends again. Never. Thanks for checking out the podcast, thedayinsports.com, Facebook, iTunes, and TDIS underscore Humblebrag on Twitter. Thank you for checking it out.